everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pillow Talk with Mark and B, the podcast where we just talk. I'm B, and I'm here with my lovely fiance. Hello, hello. How's it going? I'm Mark. Great. And we have a special guest. Yeah. Stephanie. Hello. The woman, the myth, the legend. The mother. <laughs> the mother, <laughs> wife, the mature one who's like really gotten her life together. She's that friend of mine. Sure. Yeah. Guys. Tell us about yourself. We go back a long way yeah like, I was actually, go back further yesterday I was trying to think about like how long we've actually been friends I think it's like 15 years wow yeah like this was one of these nice things about the kind of the church and the school that we all kind of went to is you know we shared the same group of friends and then there was still a lot of people that are still talking to each other you know yes yeah, yeah. and a lot of those long-term friendships. And not all of us go to the same church anymore. No, not I don't even go to Eastside anymore. It's so nice. Uh, yeah, uh, it's been 15 years. That's pretty cool. And I think I think your mom has a picture of me at Butterfield Acres in kindergarten or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I found that in like a box of photos and my cousin Carter was one of the kids there and then it showed this little blonde girl and it said Bethany on the tag and I was like, and you were like three, maybe four. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) That's so funny. And then you and Mark go back even further than that, right? We had a small actual fling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little fling. We had a, a little fling. Um, yeah, I think I met him like junior high-ish. You were a year ahead of me. So I, I was in junior high. I don't know. I think longer though. I think I met Mark first and then I met Beth later. Yeah. And I think it was one of those things too, you know, you, you kind of even seen the person at the church maybe for a couple years before you even talked or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. I always saw you walking in with your mom, like a, like a <laughs> line. Brett and you, you all sit down in the same row. I was like, <laughs> boy and then eventually you went to the school I was like oh there he is <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. um and you guys dated so yeah let's we talk about that because we're gonna kind of go through the life of Stephanie sounds like great stuff <laughs> great stuff but that's kind of how we okay yeah so let's just back up because we know each other mm-hmm. from church that's kind of how we all met but we all met later in life so let's kind of go back to the beginning of you you were you grew up in Calgary, right? Yeah, born and raised. I'm a rare breed, as some tell me. Oh, yeah, that's true. I know. I always said that. Um, although now I can't. Fuck me. <gasps> well, who wants that anyway? I mean, other than you, I guess. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Canada. <laughs> um, but you have native ties as well. I do. My grandmother was 100% Cree, and she married a cowboy. Classic. Oh. <laughs> daughters my mom is the oldest and then um had me and I am the oldest so I have about 20 percent indigenous blood in me yeah I remember uh we went to the Calgary Stampede together and it's the first time I ever went into the uh like they the- called it the Indian village at that time yeah yeah which uh, who knows if you can say but yeah it was so cool we walked together through all the tents and stuff and it was kind of a neat situation yeah, I go, I tried to, I didn't go last year because COVID, but I try to go every year because the powwows are so cool and I don't see a lot of powwows because I'm just so busy and I don't honestly don't even know where they are half the time, but can you just uh, tell us what a powwow is? So uh, 
like you dress up in different dresses there's like the classic it's like chicken dance is what it's called I don't think that's the actual word for it but it looks like a chicken dancing <laughs> my cousins do it and they have a blast and then there's like people dress there's like fly dancing I did jingle dress dancing so all those like jewels on it yeah. and you have to like jump around and stuff um I went to a couple powwows when I was when I was a kid like five to about ten like the festival type powwows yeah like you'd go there and there'd be like drum circles and you could join in if you wanted or you could dance there's competitions I never competed I actually took dance classes when I was about eight or nine I specifically took, native dance classes yeah native dress oh. dance at uh what we called the native church one of the it was like a fundraiser thing and I learned a lot and I had so much fun. We would dance in like school productions and like, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Good for you. Do, do you feel like, uh, like connected to your, your native roots then? Like, I don't think I've ever really heard you talk this much about it, but. No, like I did until my grandma, like my grandpa passed away. He was, I was like 12 yeah. and the whole family just like fell apart. Like people started fighting, siblings started fighting and then my grandma got really sad and depressed and she just stopped bringing us to powwows and to the native church and to different things. And so my sister, she talks a lot more native than I do. She is involved in a lot more things than I am. I still appreciate it. It's just not a passion. Yeah, I just yeah. acknowledge that I am, but it's not like I'm reading books about it because they're boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, yeah. That's so cool. Okay, yeah. so then tell us about your childhood. I grew up um, with my mom. My parents divorced when I was about seven. We moved into Calgary housing because my mom was a single mom, wasn't making lots of money. And I grew up with what we call the six. There were six of us and I was the oldest. There's three boys and three girls. The youngest, Kamala, she was about three, four when we started hanging out. And back in the 90s, you could do whatever you wanted. So (laughs) she would run around the neighborhood. do all those fun things and we played cops and robbers and bmx thing and tag football we did all the classical childhood games man we had good childhood in the 90s good childhood never understand these days even driving in my old neighborhood i'm scared i'm like this is the hood i'm like this (laughs) what neighborhood is that pardon me what neighborhood uh falcon ridge i thought so okay yeah that's funny that's hilarious the actual hood yeah uh it was great though my mom ran a daycare center she had she was a foster parent we had a bunch of foster kids in another house um at one point I counted 13 people eating lunch during school hour and I don't know being a mom now I'm like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it does not surprise me that your mom is that kind of a mom she's like bring in the neighborhood let's go I'll take care of you guys She loved it. Even I remember one morning I went downstairs and there was like my classmates playing Mario Kart in my living room at like 6 a.m. because they just welcomed them into my house. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you just in my house? Yeah, Adorable. it was fun. Yeah. I did not know your mom had a foster home set up. Yeah. She had about seven to 10, like over the span of probably like five years. I was young. I was like, grade two grade three when she was doing this so I just remember kids coming and going living with us not living with us kind of thing there's probably like two or three that actually stuck out that I still talk to now 
still talk to them and they're like grown up adults now. So yeah, Wild. it's kind of fun. That's a good setup too, like a day home and foster kids that you can kind of be at home all day long for everybody. That I think that was her goal back then. She was a single mom, had two girls and she wanted to be present in our lives and didn't want to go to a job. And so she just had the job come to her and it yeah. was ultimately the best of both worlds. Cause I, I, my school is a walking distance. Like my elementary school is walking distance from my house. So I could see my mom whenever I really needed her or wanted her. Yeah. Yeah. Dope. And then you mentioned that you, your parents got a divorce. You were seven, you said? I was, I was five when they told me. And then I was about seven to eight when the like official divorce went through. I remember them telling me they're getting a divorce. I remember them sitting me down on a couch. My sister at the time was maybe three, three and a half. And she could care less. She was doing somersaults and cartwheels on the floor. (laughs) And my mom told me like, dad's going to go live somewhere else. Like we're no longer together. And I remember asking a lot of questions. I'm like, what does this mean? Like, do I get to see him? Do I not get to see him? Do I get to see you? Do I visit him? Does he visit me? Like I had a lot of questions. Um, and I think it really broke me because after that I clinged onto my mom, like she was my lifeline. I never let her go. I remember when I was about 11, 12, when I was starting to be introduced into like youth group and like going to camp and stuff, she forced me to go to camp and I remember crying every day because I absolutely hated it. But she was just trying to cut that tie. Cut that tie. Yeah. So I never let her out of my sight from the time I was five till probably 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so that was like a huge abandonment thing where like huge abandonment. And like I was the daddiest girl through and through. I really loved hanging out with him. And I remember he worked at the airport for luggage, baggage kind of thing. And he uh he would leave at like four or five in the morning to go to work sometimes. And I remember waking up and getting out of bed and saying goodbye to him and then going back to bed. And I was like five. Aww. I remember doing it. So like, I really liked him and I really wanted to have a relationship with him. And then when he left, it was kind of like, I felt like if I was to ever leave again, because my mom put us with my grandma for a week so they could try to figure out their marriage and try to figure things out. And then when I came back, he was leaving. So I had a fear of if I was to ever leave for a significant amount of time again, I would come back and my mom would be gone. So right. So day camp or I mean, yeah. camp was definitely not on the table for you. Over anything like that. I absolutely hated it. I needed to stay at home. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so did she just kind of break that of you? She sent you to camp. You cried it out and got over it. Basically. <laughs> I, it was really sad. I remember Nee Jamfi was rapping at this camp and I was, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but I was like crying. It's <laughs> 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 my mom. And uh, I remember her coming back to like pick me up after the probably like two nights, three days kind of camp. And she, I was like crying because I was so happy to see her. But after that, it was like, hey, I survived it. Like I did yeah. it and here and she's not leaving. So and then I think I started to try to do like sleepovers with friends or sleep like a weekend at my dad's house kind of thing or things like that. And so, yeah, yeah it got better. It was like, she had to break me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no. Love, but... <laughs> so then you were primarily with your mom. Did you see your dad a lot? Yeah. Like from, I, I, I remember bits and pieces when I was little, like when I was seven, eight, nine kind of thing. I just remember him coming over and taking himself for ice cream. I remember asking if I could phone call him. I remember like he would take us up for like a day kind of thing. And then by the time I turned like 
10, 11, it was more like, oh, you're going to spend like all day with him, not just like an ice cream trip, or you're going to spend a night kind of thing. Um, and then after that, by the time I hit 13, 14, I was spending weekends and then a month in the summer. I think I did that for three or four summers in a row. We would spend one full month out in Lethbridge where he lived. It was traveling. That was the hardest part to see him because he would, they would either meet halfway. My mom would drive and he'd pick me up or we take the Greyhound. I think the youngest I took the Greyhound, I was like 11 and my sister was nine. Oh yeah. And so, Um, so he moved to Lethbridge like right after the divorce then. He did. Yeah. Like not right after the divorce. He met this, he cheated on my mom. So he stayed with that girl. Um, and she, they stayed in Calgary for probably four or five years. And then they moved out to like 10. Yeah. Okay. And then what was your dad's relationship with you? Did you have a good relationship, even though like you didn't see each other? Were you close? Yeah. Like there was that case of abandonment. So like, I didn't really absolutely love the fact that he still want to be a part of my life because I'm like, hey, you left. Like, why are you here? Why did yeah. you decide to do that? And so then um he I questioned a lot. I questioned my stepmom a lot. I questioned the relationship. And honestly, a lot of the time he was working when I went to go visit him. So so he uh yeah, I he worked so much that I was like, you know what, like I don't really know if mm-hmm. I like it was more visiting Danny and my little sister more than anything. And then I working with him sometimes, which was really cool. And I learned a lot, that, but, um, about painting about, that's what he did. He painted houses. And so oh. we did a lot of painting. We did a lot of construction things and I learned a lot and made some extra money because I was about 13, 14 when I started doing that. And so that's nice. it was, yeah, it was a fun little side gig, Interesting. but now, <laughs> When you were 10, was it 10 when you kind of, when everything kind of came out and you started putting things together about some things with your dad? Yeah. At 10, my mom sat me down. I remember I was sitting on the couch and I just got off the phone call with my dad and she sat me down and she looked white. I remember her looking like a ghost and she was like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay. And she was like, your dad sexually abused you when you were two. And I was like, okay and I remember sitting there with my with my mouth open like in so much shock that my mom was like are you breathing are you okay and my brain and then I learned it and my brain was like that's why this happens that's why like my brain was like making sense of everything that I've been questioning for basically my whole life I had these nightmares um of like a silhouette man standing in a doorway and I never understood what that meant wake up in cold sweats like and I was like why am I waking up in cold sweats I remember asking my mom about different things I was feeling like symptoms like cold sweats and like fear and like really scared of my dad and like I would not want to sleep over my dad's house and I didn't know why I didn't want to sleep over there and so then she told me and it like immediately I was like that's why it makes sense like I understand now. Um, and then my relationship with my dad changed a lot after that. I think I pulled away a lot. I think I was more fearful of him yeah. and I don't actually ever talk to him about it until I was about 15. Mm, what did he say? How did mad. you approach that? Uh, 
I wanted to talk to him for that five years <laughs> about it. And I just chickened out every time I was like, I don't know if I can talk about it. And then eventually I was like, fuck it. Let's just talk to him about it. Let's just do it. I'm 15. I need answers. I need to understand. And so I just asked him, I brought him up. We're at my stepmom's mom's house. My, my Nana through my stepmom and I brought him upstairs and I was like, and I asked him and he slammed the counter, the bathroom counter and was like swearing at me and saying, don't you ever ask these questions ever again. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And I piece of shit. Talk to him about it again. I was way too scared. My God. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That was how hard. did you deal with that? Like in that five years, like did you do counseling? Did you tell anybody? Did you talk about it? Did you have to deal with it later on in life? Like, how did that kind of because you look like you've processed it? Like you're not like broken when talking about it. Like you look completely healed and you're good. Oh yeah, I'm completely healed. Um, I think it was more like it answered so many questions. I think that alone was like healing because I had I was so confused for so long. And then finally I was like, that makes sense. Um I did go to, I did go to counseling. Counseling was a joke. I did not find that helpful whatsoever. Uh, she basically just asked me like stupid questions. How are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, great. But at two, like probably wasn't feeling that great. So like, right. I didn't like counseling. Um, my mom felt that I needed it. Um, and so she brought me to, which is fair as a parent. I totally understand you bring your 10 year old to counseling. I get it. Um, I think she saw after like the third round that it wasn't really helping that I just, I stopped. I did start questioning all of the male figures in my life, if they were going to sexually abuse me, which I think was very interesting looking back at it now. And I think that was me healing kind of asking, like, he hurt me. Are you going to as well? Kind of thing. And I think, I think with all of them collectively saying no, I asked like probably seven people, like my grandpa, my cousins, my uncles. Like and straight up asked them. Straight up asked them. Are you mm -hmm. going to rape? That's exactly I, what I said. Did they know about any of this? Or was it like just some random 10-year-old saying like, hey, are you going to rape me? Uh, I actually don't know. I think I think it was random. I think my grandfather knew what had happened, but I don't think my uncles did. And so, it, but it was reassuring to me that like not everyone is going to hurt me. And so it, cause I think what happens to a lot of people is that they experience that either at a young age or at like a party or something. And then they're fearful that everyone is going to hurt them. And so for me to boldly <laughs> ask those questions right off the bat, right after I found out, I think it just saved me from years of being fearful. Yeah. yeah. Like you could tell such a, like it's such a bold statement and then you can tell so much just by the reaction. Like if they freak out, you're probably like, whoa. Yeah. But I feel like I would never like come okay. here. Let me hold you. Like what happened? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's such a great way to just cut the shit. And yeah. And bold too. Like, I feel like this is a generation where women can't, cannot communicate. Like, even if I'm like, Hey, I don't want to sleep with you in the first night. They're like, oh, I never said that. No, 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 no. I would never. But they've been like, you know, suggesting right. it all night kind of thing. And then you, so you, you're weird about saying things that like assume, yeah. even though, you know, that's what's going on. I think wow. I was just a really smart 10 year old. And I was like, I need to get through this now and figure it out now. And I just, I just did it. I just took it and I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to ask them these questions. Good and for you. Worked out. <laughs>
amazing. So then fast forward, when it came to dating, how did the divorce affect you? Let's start with that. Um, The divorce affected me greatly. My mom says that pre-divorce, I was a very cuddly, energetic, funny, outgoing little girl. I was like three, four around that time. And then she said it was like overnight. I changed. I became insecure, quiet, always wanted my mom, no one else. Uh, wasn't super cuddly anymore. I was very much like, don't touch me kind of thing. Um, and even now you're pretty like, you love sleeping alone. Like you're totally fine with that. You, you stayed in your own apartment for like as long as you humanly could before you got married. I did. Yeah. I remember when I was dating my husband um, and even into engagement, I would still go home every night and sleep in my own bed. So I was like, I cherished it. Living yeah. on my own. I, it. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to get this again. So we're going to stay here. That's so funny. Um, still the same way. I'm not, which is hilarious because of my job, but I'm not a very touchy feely kind of person. It's like physical touch as a love language is not me whatsoever. Um, I am get, getting better at it with is the that kid. Motherhood? Yeah. But yeah. He, he does it. He is. It's just like, he's like, I'm a jungle gym. Like get off of me. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, okay. So then how did the abuse affect your relationships? Honestly, like not, not really like for you. I, yeah. Like I tried to like think back of like, like exes or like even guys that I dated for like a month, like those ones that don't really last. And like, I was never, I was very careful with like who I slept with though. I wasn't sleeping with everybody I dated and it was very, it wasn't because of the abuse, but I think I just valued it so much more that I didn't just like sleep with everybody. So some guys obviously didn't last because I got mad about it and left Right. and some guys last. And so it just kind of, kind of happened that way but I don't think the abuse actually affected my relationships in a negative way interesting good for you you're such a boss I fucking love you (laughs) um okay so then let's kind of you're older now you're graduating you went to university and there aren't a lot of people in our circle that did and you put yourself through university you had like a big kid job before anybody else you were actually even telling Mark about this like you were my rich friend you always worked. You always had a jar of cash, just like full of cash. You always had like Mac laptops and like you were my rich friend. You were like hustling from the from day one. The second I could get a job, I got it. I, I was 15. I was a takeout girl at Swiss Chalet. And I worked three nights a week, sometimes four if I picked up an extra shift. And um, I just, I loved working. I loved working hard and I wanted to start working and I stayed in the restaurant industry for 15 years, which was crazy. Um, all while, all while going to university, I have an English degree. Um, and to, I don't really use the English degree anymore, but <laughs> I did it, does it anymore. <laughs> I accomplished it. Um, I was a bartender supervisor at Chili's when I went to university. And so I worked four nights a week plus full-time schooling, lived on my own. Um, that was probably my favorite season of life. Looking back now, it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. Um, but I think I loved the hustle. I loved the busyness. I loved the drive. I loved the hard work, the accomplishment, the reward, the learning. I loved all of it. It was so well, much fun. And we're too old for that shit now. Like I can't hustle the way that I could 10 years ago. <laughs> it's just not a thing. 
I'm glad I did it though. I'm glad that I did it when I was young because I can never do it now. Me too. Yeah. Now, okay, so I know that a lot of people are going to relate to this. Good old Marky Mark probably can't. But let's talk about the restaurant industry. Yes. And the toxicity and the oh. drugs and the party and the bullshit. Let's talk about it. Bullshit. Okay, so I worked at Sochelle Montana's Chili's and Original Joe's within that 15 years. I loved growing and I loved... Um, I love sticking around in jobs. I wasn't the person to just bounce around month to month, different jobs kind of thing. I would stick around each restaurant for years, um, years, especially didn't make me a server. So I went and found a job that did that was Montana's Montana's didn't make me a supervisor. So I went and found a job that did that was Chili's Chili's would make me a manager. So I went to OJ's and became a manager. I just side note on this one I tell everybody that if you want a promotion get a different job because that's the only way these days they're never going to promote you from within it's not a thing nope especially if you're in a position that you're good at they want to keep you there exactly and so I tried in each job and they were like like, nope not not available and I was like hey bye see you later I'm gonna go somewhere else (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. and you got like drama at every single level in the restaurant I did. So, um, so Chile had its own dramas. I worked with um, one of our really good friends back in the day and he was like my best buddy and people actually thought we were siblings. We looked very similar and um, we were always coming and going together. So they always just thought we were brother and sister, <laughs> which was drama on its own. Um, I remember almost being put into the vat of chicken sauce at Swishele. Someone tried to play a prank on me and picked me up and tried to dump me in it. Oh, that was <laughs> tremendous. I was yeah I thought I was gonna die um and then Montana's I don't know what these kitchen guys would do they would wet the towels and then whip oh my gosh they did that at BP's too it was brutal like people would have blood all over their back I have welts in my that's crazy wild wet cloths they hurt 10 times more i'll show you later no i get the concept (laughs) believe me i understand abuse yeah and then was there like when i was at bp's like the bartender was on coke like going down under the bar snorting coke kind of thing (laughs) like so bad the drugs that were in and out of that building people would like get off work on a friday night and just stay at work and do drugs did you were you around a lot of that and how shocking was that from leaving the church to like exiting the bubble of church to that uh yeah because like I grew up um in the same school you guys did A's program and so I was very sheltered and I spent probably seven days six days of the week at the church between youth group and church and school and I was constantly in the church and so to go from 15 socially was a piece of cake compared to Montana's and Chili's but yeah. once I hit Montana's when I was like 18 it was like well my world just blew up it was like they back in the day weed wasn't legal so they would smoke weed all the time and they would offer it to me and I was like now I'm good like I don't want anything really to do with that and then they would drink they would steal beer from the bar and and like drink beer in the back and like there there was a lot of stuff I don't remember any like hard drugs like cocaine probably though I don't really remember it um I was known as like the innocent church girl so I think a lot of them just didn't tell me those things. They just right. kind of left. Um, but there was a lot of like physical assault. A lot. There was one time, oh, this still grossed me out. I went to the 
garbage bins in the back and threw a garbage bag in and this bartender whipped me pushed me up against the wall started making out with me and I pushed him away and I was like what the fuck are you doing and he was like just let it happen and he Ah. continued and I need him in the balls and then I ran inside and I was so shaking um and I left I didn't even finish cleaning I was like okay bye I'm out and I just left I didn't leave my job I just left that situation disgusting yeah, I never, I think he quit soon after that, which was good because I liked my job. So, and I wasn't one to make it awkward. Like you're an asshole and maybe he was just high. I have no idea, but yeah, that was probably the worst physical assault I ever, but there was like, even like you'd walk past the table and a customer would just like slap you on the ass or yeah. like random things like that. That would happen. Yeah. If I seen any of that shit, that would not fly. That's so crazy. It It's so interesting, like hearing your experience going from the church and then going into that. And like, you yeah. know, I had, I had a shock too going into construction with a bunch of rowdy men, but we're not, I'm not getting sexually abused coming from church and then getting like, that's so crazy. What you guys had to go through. That's so yeah. fucked. It's funny because we it's were crazy. like, we're going to get into it shortly. This is like a really great, you know, entrance into this next one, because it's wild the things that men do to women when they know that other people are never going to find out or it's just girls that know or like it's it's wild like let's talk about one of your boyfriends let's call him um what is the name that's malcolm let's call him malcolm it's a name that starts with m that's not mar Let's call him. <laughs> Let's call him Malcolm. Let's Malcolm. talk about Malcolm. Oh, gosh. Uh, I met him at Chili's. He was 17 when he asked me out. I was like 25, 26. Oh. Um, hmm. I like him young, apparently. <laughs> and I told him not to, we're not dating until he turns 18. So he turned 18 and like the next day he came, he came in, he worked at Chili's with me. He came in and was like, I really want to take you out on a date. And I was like, okay, fine. We'll go on one date. And I really did it just to shut him up because he was so persistent that I was like, we're going to go on this date. It's going to be terrible. And I'm going to leave you forever. And then can, I never pause you, can I pause you there? So, so <laughs> persistent, like, like, cause even this, like you only said yes to get him off your case. That's the yeah, red right. flag, like number one. So we'll just, but, um, yeah, like the fact that you were just like, okay, fine. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna succeed. I'm gonna like sit down. I'll let you do it, and then hopefully you'll go away. Like, but what kind of pursuing? How persistent was he? What did that look like? He was very like, he would come in on his days off and like help me close down the bar. So he was really helpful, and he would, and he would really listen to me talk. And then he would, he was like really good at like constructive conversations, and that was something I hadn't experienced in a really long time. And then, but he would constantly be like, can I take you out? And I'm like, no, like you're young and I don't really, I'm not really into dating anyone right now. And then the next day he would like text me like, Hey, I really want to take you out. And I'm like, no, it's not happening. And then like two days later, he'd show up at Chili's while I'm working and he would sit at the bar and like, like really try to get to know me, which I appreciated, but was at the point that I'm like, I'm not dating you. Like it's this and weird he- line between creepy and flattery. Yeah, it was this weird line. And he would almost like create dates where he's like, oh, I got you food. Like, can we sit down and eat? And I'm like, mm. I'm not eating food. <laughs> like, That's called a date. So I'm going to eat over here. 
and you can eat over there. Like it was very, very persistent. And his sister actually vouched for him. She was like, you should really go out with him. He really likes you. And I was like, ah, I don't know. So then he turns 18. It's no longer illegal. And you go on this date. Yeah, I think he took me to the movies or something. Because at that point, we had been talking for a while. Because he would show up on my work randomly. Um, so yeah, we, went, we went, went up to the movies. And it was actually really nice. And he didn't try to sleep with me. And he he didn't even try to kiss me. Like, it was very respectful. And I was like, interesting. Because I had heard how he dates other girls. And I was like, this is not the same. So I'm like, either he really likes me. Or he's just putting on a really good show. So I continue dating him and then after I think three to four months is when we actually slept together and he was still like super nice really charming really respectful that lasted for probably like four months after he was really he was really nice and I was like wow this is actually going really good and then it like I don't know what happened but around like eight nine months into dating it like switched Mm. and there was no like big fight or like job change or anything like that Oh, we still both worked at, uh, well, one time he was in the, he was a dishwasher at Chili's cook slash dishwasher. And he decided that instead of cleaning all the cutlery, he was just going to throw them all away. And so what an idiot. So he, (laughs) I was, I was a supervisor at the time and he was getting written up for throwing out cutlery there. And I, I had a witness this right up because I was the only other supervisor on shift and, and his so I, girlfriend and girlfriend so that was a huge like shift I think he felt like I was writing him off and I'm like no 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 I didn't even know this was happening today I got pulled out from my bar to stand here and listen to this like I'm just a witness like yeah. I'm not my signature is not on this and he took that really hard and then it kind of just like spiraled after that so maybe that moment the moment that he was that makes sense. Okay. So then explain spiraled. Like he would show up at my house randomly, like middle of the night, 2 a.m. And I would like wake up and he would be there and he was like, we need to talk. Everything was super dramatic, super serious, according to him. And I'm like, what is going on? And he was like, you went out Friday night with some girlfriends. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, did you kiss anyone? I'm like, no. He's like, did you dance with anyone? I'm like, well, my girlfriends. And he's like, how much did you have to drink? Like really detailed questions. And I was like, I don't really have to tell you any of this. I went out on a girl's night, like, leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. If I kiss him, like, leave me alone. <laughs> so he, uh, he just got really creepy and got really possessive, jealous to the point that it was like emotional abuse. He would constantly ask to see my phone. He'd be looking over my shoulder whenever I was texting someone if it was a boy, because one of my best friends at the time was a boy, he'd be like, what are you guys talking about? And I'm like, I don't really have to tell you any of this. Like, we're dating. Yeah. 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 Creepy. And then when did it, like, switch for you? Probably around one year we started from when we started dating. Um, I broke up with him. Well, as in, like, tried. It probably took three weeks for it to actually stick because he would almost act like he forgot so I would break up with him and then the next day he would show up at work and be like hey do you want to go for dinner tonight and I'm like no we're not together anymore like leave me alone and he would like since he worked at where mm-hmm. I worked he would follow me he would follow me in the back follow me out, and he would wait beside tables as I chatted to my customers and then he would follow me back to the bar 
And he was like, why are we going out? And I'm like, because I broke up with you last night. Don't you remember? He's like, no, I don't remember. Like he denied it. And I was like, okay. So it was almost like, hey, well then I'm breaking up with you right now. Please leave me alone. That's crazy. Like PSA, if a girl says she wants to break up with you, that's it. Don't text her. Don't call her. Don't drive over to her house. Don't threaten to show up at work. Don't show up at work. Yeah. The heck? at work he would like show up crying and i was like i have zero pity for that i was like okay we dated for a year it wasn't it wasn't your life like get get over it stop crying and you're so young little child like you're 21 relax yeah you're so young my god so what was the worst like can you describe the worst thing that he ever did because i have a friend that's like in the middle of leaving an abusive situation and this week mark and i've been listening to a lot of her stories and recordings and all of and it's like i i'm sad that mark doesn't like this is the first picture he's into what happens when girls get trapped like this and it's happened to me it's happened to you it happened to her and like i think there really genuinely needs to be more awareness about the situations that don't necessarily result in him punching us. Yeah, like, I keep just thinking this whole conversation, like, I'm a solutionist. I'm like, so what's the defense against this? How do you stop this? Like, well, let's ah. tell, yeah, tell us your story. And then, yeah, yeah, because this is wild. This is crazy. Like, it's like, so like, yeah, like, it's just such a strange thing. I just can't picture any of my friends doing this. I have no experience in this, like, side of crazy men. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just because nobody talks about it because it's weird to talk about. Like, if he didn't punch you, then why are you complaining? If he, like, yeah. it's just, well, then just kick him out. Well, then just break up. You can't yeah, necessarily like, do that with somebody who won't leave you alone. And I've been hearing, like, stories where it's like, you know, these guys will take advantage and be like, approach you while you're having a shower or something when you're kind of vulnerable and just kind of these, like, weird fucking things yeah. that you guys have to deal with. We're going to do a whole episode about like, actual domestic abuse on women. But tell us your story. Uh, the worst thing he ever did. Um, probably a handful of things. I would say, like, overall, the worst thing would definitely be him just showing up at my house randomly and demanding to talk to me and then locking me in my house to talk to me, which was probably one of the worst. I remember there was one time he showed up at my house and I lived in the basement suite and I knew the landlords really well. I worked with her at Chili's. And I saw him show up at my house and I got scared. And so I waited till he came to the back of the house where my front door was. And I ran upstairs out the front door to my car and drove away so that he wouldn't get to me, which is really, really scary. Um, there was a couple of times at Chili's he would show up. This is the, this is the really scary part. I remember I went snowboarding. I went to Chili's for some after beer, whatever. He was there. Didn't know he was there. He wanted to talk to me. We've just recently broken up. He would like yell in my face, like corner me in corners of the room. So I couldn't leave and like demand to talk to me. And then I I remember breaking free, which is terrible from his like cornering me in the corner of Chili's talking to me. And I ran to my car. And I remember if I pressed the unlock button once it unlocks just the driver's side. And if I press it twice, it unlocks, unlocks all the car. So I unlocked just the driver's side, went in, he tried to get in the passenger side, realized he couldn't ran to the front of the to the driver's side i locked it and i sped away and then he chased after me literally running from him yeah literally running from him which was that was like a really scary moment and i didn't even go home because i was like the second i go home he's gonna follow me straight to my house and then demand talk to me there so i went to my one of my best friends i went to her house 
And I was like, I need to stay here tonight. Like he will not leave me alone. And she probably saved me like a handful of times. There was one time he had locked me in my room, in my room. I couldn't even leave my room. He was standing at the door. We've been talking for three hours. I refused to talk. I wasn't even talking anymore. And he would say things. He's like, don't you love me? And I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, well, don't you want to work on this? I'm like, we're not even together. And he's like, like he would, he would try to manipulate me into making me feel a certain way, even though I didn't feel that way at all, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, she had to come save me and and I had, and I couldn't even just leave my house and get in my car and drive away because when he would follow me, I had to actually like leave the house, hide in some trees so that he would think that I left and got in my car and then he would, he would try to follow me. He would leave. And then I snuck behind the shed where there's a bunch of spiders and grossness. And I stayed there until Victoria, my best friend came and fished me out because she was like, it's safe. Like that's not cool. Uh, like yeah. Mark's like visibly like he just can't fathom this is wild that men do this to women and this is like a 20 year old kid what the yeah fuck? who the fuck do and you I'm, think you are and for the first like eight months of our relationship he treated his mom so nicely his sister so nicely and I was like perfect like that that's how you kind of gauge how the guy's gonna treat you how does he treat his mom how does he treat the other females in his life and he was treating them with like respect and love. And I was like, hey, perfect. And then all of a sudden it just like switched and he got super jealous, which was never my experience previously because lovely Mark was never like that. So he was the first guy I ever dated that treated me like this. And so I was like, is this normal? This isn't normal. There's no way. It, it like, I'm, I'm not glad you went through that, but then you seen that that was not normal. That is not acceptable. Mm-hmm behavior and you probably never settled for that shit again never settled it for again no yeah. it took a while to get rid of him well and even we were talking the other day that if you if, if he still showed up you still get worried that you see him or you're running into him with your son Jeez. yes i am almost five years married and i still get scared of running into him at the mall at like i don't know random places that he may be and like what would happen? I'm like, and I think of exit plans in my head, which is insane. Like at the mall, I'm like, if I run into Malcolm, what's gonna happen? Where's the fastest way out of here? Which is not healthy. No. So well, I was telling somebody else too that flight and flight and fright or fright flee, freeze and flight or whatever that that response fight or flight response is supposed to be for life and death situations. Like it's not supposed to be for going into the mall and running into somebody. Like it's not it's meant for life or death, which is crazy that like my body goes through that. Just thinking about situations that might happen. It just shows the, like the trauma that I went through with it. Disgusting. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Now, I'm like, I am glad that I went through it though. I learned a lot. Yeah. I learned a lot. I feel like you're like that too, where it's like, even with your dad's situation, like everything that you go through, you're like, okay, well, there was a lesson here though. So we're not going to talk shit about it. Like, yeah. And you see the value throughout your whole life. Yeah, there's definitely a lesson there. And I think that if I didn't go through that, I think I might have settled for someone. Mm. Right. Would have um, gone through that process of finding someone to marry a lot differently than what I did. So, no, that makes sense. All right. Well, then on that note, uh, let's skip to the tie guy. You're you're graduated from university. You're like, listen, it's time to find myself a husband. So you go scouting. I did. 
I, at that point was still at Eastside, um, the church I grew up in and all, all the boys and men there, I would never date. They were like my brother, half of them. <laughs> and I, and like, there was no interest in any of them that I was like, Hey, and no new guys were coming in. They're all the same people. I'd been hanging out since junior high, all the way to like 25, 24. I was like, okay, I need, I need exposure to something else. So <laughs> I did definitely need the exposure. So then I Googled churches in Calgary and experienced church popped up and I was like, Hey, this looks cool. So decided to go on Sunday and just kept going all the way. I still go to experience church Which is, and you and I was going to the same church, but the other, like I was in the South, you were in the North this whole time. Yeah. We were going to the same church. Yeah. Yeah. They had one South campus and then they launched a North campus and I helped launch North campus. So it was a lot of fun but I when they started launching North Campus I was like I need to be a part of that it's going to be a small group of people that are going to be opening this church and then there's gonna be so many new people coming in potentially my husband so I, was <laughs> like, I need to be a part of this so I, I went and launched the church um and that was a really fun experience really like got to see behind the scenes of a lot of things learned a lot I was in the children's ministry setup crew like one of the core people there for probably a year the first year that they were open and then I met Tyler and everything was perfect during this time Malcolm was still present in my life he never left me alone so he was still kicking around here and there um but I I never pursued anything else with him he would just randomly show up at my house and try to talk to me and I would just tell him no uh did he listen not always sometimes he did sometimes he didn't but um and then yeah, one day I was in the children's ministry doing ministry things. I don't know, walking around with kids. <laughs> and uh, Ty was taking pictures of like the service of like for social media things. And I remember walking out of the sanctuary where they have the services and I, I saw him and I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. And I didn't really see or say anything to him. And then I purposefully walked by him a second time. <laughs> trying to get him. <laughs> How did he smell? How did he smell? I, I didn't walk that close. <laughs> I just by him and he, he started talking to me. And at first I was like, what is this really cute guy doing talking to little me? And then uh I tried so we had like a two two second conversation I chickened out I was like I'm gonna go check on some kids I left (laughs) (laughs) my heart was beating so fast and so I was like I need to take a breather and when I came back out he was gone and so I was like whatever like it is what it is if it continues it continues if not it's not and then later that day I was closing chilies as a supervisor and I was telling all my friends about him I was like I met this guy at church he's really cool I talked to him for like two seconds. I got scared. I ran away. What do I do? <laughs> and they were like, you should follow him on Instagram. It's a really subtle way of being like, hey, I'm still here. And I was like, perfect. Didn't realize then I didn't even know his last name. All I knew is that Tyler. <laughs> so I was like, God damn it. So I went on our church schedule to see who was scheduled as the photographer that day. <laughs> it was lovely Tyler. And I looked him up on Instagram, found him, followed him. And then the next day he messaged me and was like, Hey, really nice to chat with you. I'd love to take you over coffee someday. I leave for Chicago tomorrow for 10 days for a family vacation. So when I get back, we should hang out. And I was like, sweet. So he chatted those full 10 days 
um, that he was in Chicago. We just messaged each other back and forth. He came back at like 10 days later at like, I think his plane landed at like nine o'clock at night. And we had set up a date two days later, but he was like, Hey, listen, I've chatted with you for like 10 days and I really want to hang out with you in person. Do you want to come over for like a late, like dinner slash drink kind of thing? And I was like, yes. And I ended up staying at his house almost 3am just talking the whole time. Yeah, it was. And then the rest is history. We got married. What I really like about that is like how intentional you were with like, I'm looking for a husband, so I'm not going to go to the fucking bar. Yeah. Go find a you husband. went to church. You went to church. Yeah. I really like that aspect of it. Cause yeah, it's just, you are going to date the type of people you're around. So be around good people. Exactly. And with my very traumatic experience with Malcolm, I decided that <laughs> I needed a, a different kind of person and obviously I met Malcolm in like a restaurant so I'm like hey I've been a lot of restaurant people I've seen all the abuse and trauma that happens in those kinds of relationships I need someone that is like wholehearted has values morals hardworking, grew up in the church like has the same kind of like lifestyle as me yeah. outside of the restaurant and so I just was like I'm just gonna find someone at church and I like needed to create the opportunity Cause I had spent the last like probably two, three years just waiting mm. for, for Army to show up and he wasn't showing up. So I'm like, okay, I'll go find him then. So then I just went <laughs> for you take us into my own hands. Let's get this done. <laughs> Amazing. And then how long were you together before you got engaged? Seven months. <laughs> nice. And how did he propose? Oh gosh, Ty. So one thing you need to know about Ty is that when he needs to get done, he does it really fast. Like he is like, house needs to be built I'll build it in four days like we need this let's go like he has no patience so we went to New York to visit my friend and uh we and I knew he was going to propose during this trip I had a gut feeling so I told my friend I'm like listen he's going to hand you the camera I know this and he's going to ask you to take pictures I'm like so be prepared and she's like okay so we went down to uh, Coney Island it was really pretty with like the sunset and the ocean. It was really nice. And he, I thought for sure he would like take a couple of pictures, let Sandra get comfortable with the camera. No, this guy handed her the camera, beelined it for me, hand in pocket, trying to get the ring out. He instantly down on one knee and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, so fast. And all, all I remember, like he said, like, Steph, I love you, like all those things. And then I remember him on one eat with the ring and he was like, why are you walking away? Cause I was like, so like taken <laughs> back by what was happening so fast. I was the like, <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and then obviously I said, yes. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a really good moment. I really liked it, but it was so fast. I was like, okay. But old Tyler, that's hilarious. And then you had a wedding. What was that like? And you had a big wedding too. Like we're not having a very big wedding, so we don't have to deal with any family things, any invites, any, any of that, but tell us your experience. My experience. So I had known that I was going to get engaged during that trip. So I actually was phoning different places to have the wedding before even leaving for New York because I was like, (laughs) 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 got to get on it. You got (laughs) to I was like, so we need to do this now. So um, I was yeah. really, really happy. We have guests. Oh, fun. Okay, cool. Well, Marky. 
Who is that your host? Um, they're from, I think he's from, uh, shit, Spain. He's from Spain. Mm. And she's, I think she looks German yeah. to me, but they both speak, they both speak Spanish. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know. They're super nice. They were working out this morning. I guess they're going into like the city, like focus. So they want to just chill and just do nothing. And I wonder how far we are into this. He's getting them stuff to go and eat outside. Oh, cute. That's so fun. Your little hostesses. All Mark cleans. <laughs> He does everything like seven in the morning he's up making eggs for them and really oh mark is so cute he like cleans he's got like all of his like tools and stuff and he's like he is the host i answer the emails so i'm like better at like setting it up i say hey thanks for whatever like here's all the information let us know when we have to pick you up and then when they're here it's all mark yeah yeah oh that's so cool that's so nice i never have to do anything and since he's doing it anyway you can make me a coffee and breakfast too yeah, right? Although he I don't really eat breakfast. He does always ask, though. Yeah, he's quite... He's the hostess with the mostest. Did you... I like, love breakfast. We were joking about how, like... Uh, like, I, I only dated him for his fame and his money and, like, he, the podcast and all that stuff. And that's, like, why. But now, all of a sudden, he's just, like, this Panamanian chicken farmer and I'm the one with the cash. And I'm, like, this is... Yeah. I don't know how he got <laughs> here, but... <laughs> you dated for his fame? <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I told him that we couldn't date because I wanted to be his assistant. I was like, no, no, Lorehammer's going to get really good and you need like a, like a marketing manager. I will do that. And then he was like, no, like date me. And now I'm like everything for him. I'm forever his, his little receptionist. Assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Executive assistant. We're not a fucking receptionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember what we were talking about? My wedding. Oh yeah, okay, 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 okay. And action. Uh so my wedding. Oh yeah, so I booked the place we were gonna get married. We got married at Heritage Park and it was beautiful and I loved it so much. Um and we had about like 90 guests, 95 guests. Um it was really fun. It was probably like not not to say that I'm like biased, but it was my favorite wedding ever. <laughs> like I've been to a lot of weddings and this was wow. like so much fun there yeah. was yeah we had the ceremony under 20 minutes like get married fast done and then the rest of the night was just like dancing and all this fun stuff I love that that's amazing yeah. and there yeah because most people are like if I could do it again I wouldn't do it I would just elope and blah 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 you don't feel like that if anything I want to relive that day that day was so much fun it was like <laughs> We look back on videos, like, like on our anniversary of year, we like look back on videos and pictures and we're just like, that was such a fun day. And even our friends are still like, that was probably the best party I've ever been to. And I'm like, yes, you yeah. did it. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. And then your dad was not at your wedding, right? So I talked to him. We got married um, October 6, 2018. And I talked to him that August so three months prior and like he called me I was at OJ's um working and he said that um he didn't feel comfortable coming to my wedding if he wasn't the one walking me down the aisle oh because you were gonna have stepdad do it 
my stepdad do it. And so, which my stepdad, I met him when I was 19 and at that, like I got married when I was 28. So he'd been a part of my life for nine years and he was more of a dad to me than my dad ever was. And, and he married my mom, like my stepdad married my mom. So it was just kind of like, he was there for all the big things. He was there during my high, high school grad, my, um, university grad. He was there for like so many big monumental things that I was like, this, like my stepdad's more of a dad to me than anything. And I often joke with my mom because my stepdad and my mom actually knew each other and dated each other when they were 17. Right. And, and then they broke up. And then my mom and my biological father, um, were together, got pregnant, welcome Steph and got married and then had a second kid, got divorced. And then my stepdad and my mom actually re-met when she was like 38, something crazy. That's a cute and so I have always loved that story. They found each other on Facebook, a well, little lover. <laughs> I mean, even for your engagement, he was there. Like, like Tyler yeah. asked your stepdad. So my stepdad. And so, uh, he, he was just like a huge figure in my life. And, um, yeah, so I asked him to walk me down the aisle. Cause I was like, why would I get my biological father to do it when he wasn't even present in my life for the past, like well, 10 years? No tie. Like, no, he, he abused you as a child you do not get the title or any of the like good days and like you don't get no. to walk her down the aisle and act like he, you were her father yeah so I like when he told me he wasn't coming to the wedding it was actually a huge burden off my shoulders I was like okay good well, that's I don't know. like buddy you, you gotta get out like it's time and my sister actually had a plan that if he was to randomly show up at my wedding what would she do because she didn't want me dealing with that on that day. She's like, if I see him, I'll talk to him about leaving. And I was like, perfect. She and is so, one to like, she's the best, best security love. you had there. <laughs> I felt her hands. And he, he never showed. So that was good. Nice. Okay. So now you're married. You're working mom. You came over to our house. Okay. We had a fire. Okay. And we had just started, no, I don't even think we were dating at that point. No, no, no. We were like just really good friends. And I was like, Steph, you got to come over. Mark's going to be here. I hope it's not weird, but you guys are my my people and we got to hang out and whatever because you guys were like exes at that point. Yeah, we hadn't seen each other in at least five or six years type thing. Yeah, and the only other time was like a group fire or something yeah. with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, after you had met your ex-wife, I basically didn't, like, we didn't talk at all. Yeah. And then... I yeah. And then when you guys went through the divorce and then when B was like, Hey, come over Mark's here. I've been like, yeah, that's fine. Because like, you yeah, know, what's funny though, because I <laughs> guys, so you would show up at my electrical company yeah, still with her and all that stuff. And I would go and text Steph and be like, Oh my God, Mark just copied. <laughs> yeah. Gossip about you. <laughs> we didn't know you. We didn't have Facebook. We tried That's to sleep and you didn't use it. But yeah, we kept tabs on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Like we just did an episode of like, don't pick up the phone call from your ex. And then it's funny that we're in this conversation right now. Yeah. But yeah. um, it's interesting. Like uh we were young when we dated, like we dated maybe from like 18 to 20 something like that like we were young yeah it was like you first were, real relationship like you asked me on november 17th 2005 oh, wow. oh my god okay. 2005 it's almost okay. 2025 yeah what the hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but like even like we never had like a crazy blow up or anything it was just kind of outside factors and just whatever young 
manipulated by other people. Yeah. It wasn't really anything we dated, I think, till 2009-ish. And on and off. And if you guys weren't in the church, I don't think you guys would have actually ever really thought about marriage or anything. Like, no, no, like we would like we weren't compatible essentially like we were we had fun together but like even just listening to you like you were always working i'm like i don't want to work i'm just chilling (laughs) i'm gonna cash my side paychecks and i'll just you know but anyways i i was always the one that was like eager beaver like i wanted to like work hard and like and i remember we had like msn back (laughs) in the day right and i had a laptop because I had a job. So I had a laptop and I would go on MSN and you would be like, Hey, I'm going to have a quick nap. And I'm like, in your like little office cubicle. <laughs> and I was like, wake you up during break. And then every time I get on my desk, go over to you, tap you on the shoulder and you'd be like, Hey, thanks. And you'd walk out. <laughs> All right, let's get stuff done. <laughs> let's go on break. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh my God. So then, yeah. So you came over to our house and then we were like, Steph, please smoke weed with us just <laughs> once please and you almost did it I did I almost did I but really wanted to you were like I had a gut feeling I was pregnant I was like I think I'm pregnant and I I don't know what it was because I hadn't officially missed like a period yet I think I was due like that day for my period and I was like I just felt off I felt different and I was like, I think I'm pregnant. I'm like, so maybe next time, like next month, because it was like July or something I came over. And so I was like, next month, if I'm not, then for sure then. And then <laughs> lo and behold. <laughs> then you were. And that was that. And then Brick right. came into yeah. the world. And like, Brick's- you were the first like really close friend that had like a baby. Yeah. He, he's a bundle of joy. Like <laughs> he is now 20, almost 22 months old. So he'll be two in April wild um, yeah I uh I think I took a test after I think five days after having like going to your house for a fire and it came up positive and I was like perfect <laughs> you planned it like this wasn't like a surprise you and Ty were trying yeah we were trying I had I was on birth control for years years and years and years and I had stopped taking it that March and so I thought for sure it would take us like a full year six months at least to like get pregnant and three months later I had a positive pregnancy test as much as we were trying slash planning I thought I was gonna get pregnant in the fall not in the summer (laughs) there's one thing you gotta go about Ty is if he wants to get something done (laughs) (laughs) he's fast (laughs) that's so funny and how do you feel like a mom has shaped you in light of like kind of everything that was in your your past? It it changed everything. It changed the way I think. It changed it changes like how I go about my day. Like you hear all these moms are like, my kids absorb my life. Like my life is just my kids. And like, yes, he is he is 100% my life. Um, I was always really adamant from the beginning that I still wanted to remain Steph in that process. I never wanted to, my full identity be a mom. Like that wasn't my plan. So when I had got pregnant, well, we had planned to get pregnant. So I was like, okay, I can't be in the restaurant industry and have a baby. Like that's a lot of work. That's a lot of like, I worked at the airport at the time. So it was a lot of like really early morning shifts, really late night shifts. And I'm like, it, it just wasn't plausible, especially for like a family life after you just can't, 
I would miss out on so many things, soccer games, Christmases, birthdays, because I'd be scheduled to work. Like I need a job where I can pick my own schedule, where I can work less hours, make good money. Um, and I didn't want to sit at a desk. So I applied for massage therapy schooling. Um, I think that June I applied for it and I got accepted in July and then a positive pregnancy test showed up and I had a moment. I was like, do I continue or do I not? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, you promised yourself that you would always remain Steph and Steph wants to be therapist. So regardless if you're pregnant or not, regardless how hard that will be doing school and having a newborn, just do it. And you have a community around you. My, my family lives in town, his family lives in town. So I just did it. I was like, I just gung ho did schooling (laughs) pregnant with a newborn. It was wild. It was crazy. I would never change it for the world, but he definitely changes the way I think like all my decision-making in the back of my mind. I'm like, how's this going to affect my kid? Even how I behave and act around him. How's this going to affect him? What's he learning? He's learning good things or bad things. Yeah. It's been very interesting. Like, you know, we've had the odd conversations about just how you're raising him and, and yeah, it's been very intentional about like, I'm not just trying to feed the kid right now. Like I'm trying to make a human for 20 years from now, you know? It is, it is. And I don't think a lot of parents think of it that way because they're so involved in like the newborn years and then the infant years and then the toddler years and the child. And they're so wrapped up in like, oh, he needs to learn how to put a square block in a square hole. Like they're so concentrated on that where I'm like, what is like, how are we talking around him? How are we behaving around him? Like, what are the habits? What does he see me doing? Does he constantly see me on my phone? What does that do to him? Maybe I should be reading a book in front of him. So maybe he'll learn to like books instead. Like in, in trying to expose him to as much as possible, taking him to many different places like zoo, science center, these things where he can learn so much stuff that I can't even teach him, putting him in daycare because he doesn't have a sibling so he can learn yeah. how to coax their little people. So like, it's always been very, very intentional and very, and Ty and I have many conversations at late at night when we're both trying to fall asleep about like parenting like okay you did this today I think we should do this next time or hey when you talk to him like this I think it should be this way or maybe we should try this maybe that'll help and like we often have like those conversations of like what can we do to make make him the best version of himself even 20 years from now incredible yeah like I've always listened to your parenting styles and even like in this crazy the world that we live in today you're very intentional about like I need to make sure that certain people are around him I need to make sure and even like the habitual things that you do where it's like no no I'm gonna hold a book instead of a phone because it matters and then that changes you that makes you a little bit of a better person too because you get knowledge trying to show him how to soak up knowledge you know 100 even working out I try my best it's harder because I like to have a really good workout but I try to have him around so that he watches me learns because eventually that'd be a really cool thing to do is to like work out together I think that'd be really fun when he's older and so very intentional but he was also my why for so many years I before yeah like I went to university because I'm like if my kid was going to go to university I I should probably experience this so I know what he's going through when he's going to university or if he's going to work in the restaurant industry I should probably really see what that's like like there's so many, there's so many things that I did. I intentionally did not get pregnant at 20. Like my mom, my grandma, her grandma, like I was very intentional with that. I'm like, I want, I want to make sure that he was conceived in love in a, in a home, not in a broken relationship. And so I was very intentional with my choices. So he 
to see him now, like beside me, crawling all over me as much as it's so annoying. I love it because it's like, he's here. He was my why the whole time. Now here he is. So it's really, really cool to see full circle. That's sweet too, that you are able to break some of these like generational traumas that have happened to, to you, you know? Yeah. And like generational, like huge topic now is residential schooling for natives. Right. And my grandparents, my grandma was a part of it. Her mom was a part of it. I'm pretty, I never looked into them. I'm pretty sure I have ancestors who were in, who were like put into that kind of stuff. And like that shit follows you. Yeah. Like the abuse and the pain and the anger. Everything follows you. And it leaked into every generation since. And then when I at 10 learned about the sexual abuse, I was like, enough's enough. I am not letting this follow me. Like done. I basically detached from my biological father at that point and only went to see him because he was family and I had to, and my sister wanted to. And the second I turned of age to make my own decisions around 19, I was like, okay, bye. I'm out. And I never went back. And so generational trauma was a huge thing. And I, and I wanted to break it because I wanted my kid to have a better life than I did. Yeah. And so yeah, you're an incredible parent. How do you feel like your parents have shaped who you are? Oh gosh. My mom was, they're both very hardworking people. My mom was hardworking. My dad was hardworking. My dad, I only saw bits and pieces of him because like I said, he worked a lot of the time that I visited him. And so Um, one thing he did tell me though, when I was really young, he always told me, don't ever work for someone, be your own boss. And I thought that was, and that really stuck with me. And that was something that I was like really intentional about, which is probably why I kept looking for the next promotion because eventually I'm going to be the boss. And I wanted to keep doing that. Um, and now that I'm a massage therapist, I am my own boss. I make my own rules. And so, um, that was probably the only thing you do you have to technically open up like a, a, corporation. a corporation or anything? Like, can you say you're an uh, actual business owner or? Yeah. Like if I was to have my own clinic space with my own clients, hundred percent, I have to be incorporated. But since I basically like rent a room from a clinic, they're incorporated. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. But I am. Yeah. But they're both very hardworking. My mom was strong, independent. Um, she showed me how to work hard and how to really go after what you wanted she wanted to stay at home and she did it and she made an income from it. And my dad, he really showed how hardworking he is. And at a young, naive age, I saw the hard work. It wasn't until later that I learned how corrupt that hard work was, but the hard work was still there. So right. I learned lots from it. Yeah. Sense. And how do you feel like the foundation that they laid out for you kind of affected your life? Whether like, and I mean, like understanding that they were going through their own shit at 20 and 25 and whatever, but Regardless, like you have just pointed out, you can be intentional or not intentional about laying a foundation. So how do you feel like their foundation for you has kind of made you or breaking broken you or whatever? Right. Um, like hardworking, both parents um really showed that to me, which is which is really, really cool. Um because of their divorce, I think I was exposed to a lot more other aspects than I would have been if they were together. Um, I think I learned a lot from that. I think alert. I learned a lot from like who to choose as your partner, because that is a forever choice. Um, there is obviously divorce, but that's not your goal. So you definitely like, I didn't want to settle. And that was something that I took very, very 
seriously when I started dating. Um, obviously not with Malcolm. <laughs> so that was just a lesson learned, but, um, it was immediately after him that I met Tyler and I knew exactly who I wanted to marry. And I also made sure that I was also marriage material. I real, I was like, would I marry someone who's 25 living at home? Probably not. So yeah. <laughs> like living with parents. So I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get out, get my own place and go to university. And I really wanted to make something of myself. I never wanted to rely on marriage or rely on a spouse because sometimes that doesn't happen. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make it for myself and not rely on the husband, but still be very intentional on making sure I find someone that would be best suited for me. Which is awesome because even if that wasn't the case, Tyler is exactly the kind of guy that you can rely on. So you got everything like. I got the degree. I got the diploma. I got Ty. It all worked out very magically, very, very well. And it all happened in a timing that needed to happen. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to rush things. I was very intentional with it. And I think my parents' divorce really showed that you truly need to make sure that it's someone that you really, really love and not just someone you're worth like just to settle. Yeah. And so obviously my mom settled. And so <laughs> we all see how that turned out. So yeah, I didn't get to learn that lesson from my parents. So I, I, I got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I thought you could just make marriages work. You know, you just. Right. <laughs> magically oh, yeah <laughs> and then again unlike your dad tyler is like front and center in bricks's life yes he works very very hard he works six days a week 12 hour 14 hour days but he is still very intentionally comes home he built houses so he's very hands-on um he's exhausted a lot of the time but whenever he comes home he's very intentional with bricks he sits down with him on the floor plays with him feeds him dinner will clean up the kitchen after which is super nice um even though he's like literally falling asleep while doing it um, <laughs> he honestly he always takes sundays off so we always try to do family things those days and we'll go to the science center and stuff and so he's very and that was something that i never had i never had that dad and that that involved in my life that i wanted to make sure that my kid had that and mm -hmm. so i was very intent on who that person was so it all comes to even from a friend's perspective like you have kind of a rare friendship line where like lots of people just have friendships that come and go but you had the six for a long you do you still you still talk to some of them we actually all have a matching tattoo um roman numerals and i'm number one because i'm the oldest so okay. <laughs> yeah the six they they grew, we grew up together um i was the oldest youngest was three or four and we were all siblings there's two sisters two brothers and then a brother and sister we lived doors apart from each other in Falcon Ridge. We, I taught the youngest how to ride a bike. Like mm -hmm. we were very intent. We were very, very much involved in our, in each other's lives. And we still talk to each other now, obviously you grow apart and it's not as, as close as you once were. We all have different lives now. Some of us don't even live in Calgary. And so it's very different, but I went to um, the youngest wedding. She got married, I think a week or two before I did. Um, and so I went to her wedding, which is super sweet. Um, one of them had kids way earlier than the rest of us. And so my nieces are like 11 and nine. And so I was very much involved in their lives growing up. Um, yeah, they they were a huge foundation. And I think they really showed me that family can be not just blood related. It can really be friends too. And I had, and then that also leaked into the school. Like all my friends in school were very close 
very much the same. And so I learned from such an early point for a very long, like significant amount of my life that friends are always going to be there and mm-hmm. family might be there and family might hurt you, but I was never brutally hurt by my friends. And so it really, it really taught me a lot too. Yeah. Just to learn my family. Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Okay. So then before I move to kind of like the last thing that I want to talk about, I want to really emphasize how important, like we've had Matt on and we've talked about that kind of like a sexual assault and how like it wasn't really addressed right away and how it's kind of masked into so many areas of his life and how this is like absolutely not the same way, th- way with you. I don't think there are many girls that at all that can kind of like uh, relate to your processing this at such a young age and so, so you know, intentionally. So talk about that and how that boundary at 10 years old kind of set up your life. Boundary of like asking all the male figures in my life, that boundary. Um, I think it really just showed me that because one person hurt me, not everyone was going to hurt me. And I really needed to understand because I was, I was fearful of my dad after that moment after learning about that moment. Um, and it made, it made a lot of sense of the nightmares I was having and like all those things. Um, so I don't, I honestly don't know why at such a young age, I decided to set that boundary and decided to really just pull away from my dad because, well, he also left. So like, why would I not pull away from my dad? Yeah. (laughs) He left. I remember asking my mom so many times, I'm like, he left. So why do I have to go visit him? Like, I don't understand. And I tried talking to my mom about the sexual abuse and she didn't really want to talk about it. Um, and so I think, I think learning that I couldn't talk to my mom and I couldn't talk to my dad. I was like, yeah, I have to do some, some inner, inner work. Yeah. With, I really need to understand how this is going to affect me going forward. And it's crazy to think now, like as a mom, like a 10 year old thought that like, that's weird. Like that's, that's so, but it also just goes to show that like, at five when my dad left you started I was I was immediately matured like I was now my mom often told me she's like don't parent your sister she has a parent be her sister and she told me that I would baby my sister even just with you in the six you're saying you were the you were the the oldest you know how to ride a bike exactly so naturally yeah you're 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 learning the world at a much quicker rate, rate than everyone else way quicker and I would mother so many of my friends and so many, and like my sister that my mom was like, and yeah, like, you can't keep mothering them. And I'm like, but I am the mom. Like <laughs> he left. I, I think I just felt that void in the house and I was like, I can help. And so I just helped. And so at 10, it wasn't really 10. My brain had matured so much that right. I was in a different, a really different aspect of how this is going to affect me and what I needed to do to get out of it. And I knew immediately my dad was toxic and I needed him out of my life, but I was also 10. So <laughs> can't do that at age. <laughs> you need to really think it through. Um, and so I, I just decided to start pulling away and it really helped shape my life from that point on. I was really intentional about the friends that I made the six it's really intentional about the guys that I dated I was really intentional about different decisions I made because I didn't want that dragging me down and not not to say that I like pushed it on under the rug there were many many nights 
I, and all the way till I was married that I would cry missing my dad because I wanted to have a relationship with him and he messed it up. He left and he wasn't very, he wasn't a very good parent. He would request that I call him. He would request that I go to Lethbridge and I'm like, why don't you come to me? I would learn he was in Calgary and didn't even really want to see me. And I'm like, but I go to Lethbridge all the time. Why can't you come to Calgary and see me? And so, but I, I wanted that relationship with him and I wanted to see him and talk with him. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what, this is very toxic for me. And so, and Ty was really the one that showed me this. He was like, you really need to just cut ties, just hundred percent stop talking to him. And so he actually sent me a letter. It was awful. B read it. <laughs> it was not fun. And he uh, basically just told me what an awful daughter I am uh, to summarize. <laughs> and I wrote him back and I left the ball in his court and he has never tried to talk to me since. He will randomly text me Merry Christmas every once in a while. Not even every year. Just every once in a while. He sees my stories on Facebook. That's Good about man. it. So yeah, I'm don't even really want to imagine bricks going through this but you as somebody who's gone through it if that ever happened to bricks not even like from a family Let, let's do this if you had a friend that was going through a divorce how would no, you no, advise no, them oh okay sorry if your son was sexually assaulted how would you handle the situation differently than your parents I think I would try to walk him through that process. Like if he came up to me and told me what had happened, one, I would take it seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't just brush it. I wouldn't just be like, oh, he was probably not doing that to you. He was probably just doing like whatever the situation may be. Um, I would probably share with him that that happened to me. So he had some sort of relatability. I don't plan on sharing that with him ever unless it came mm-hmm. up in conversation. Yeah, like- I don't like, okay, so my, my parents often told me the abuse that they went through when they were teenagers, kids. And immediately I saw them in a, in a different light. And I was like, is that going to happen to me? And then at 10, I learned it. And I was like, oh, damn, okay, it did happen to me. So I don't want this happening to my kid. And so I immediately changed the way that I thought about it. And I was like, I got to deal with this now. Um, so would I ever tell him? Probably not unless he blatantly asked me or it came up in conversation like he was sexually abused and I could share with him my my story and my what I did to to try to get over it um it might be a totally different situation um but obviously I wouldn't put shame to it because what happened with me was a lot of shame and I don't think that that is something that helped the process in any way even just purely my dad getting mad at me for even asking that shame and so it's like it happened wasn't my fault I didn't ask for it. So. Well, and it's funny that you even brought up shame because I feel like, especially growing up in the church and like, we've kind of talked about, you know, like Mark losing his virginity and then all that kind of stuff happening after that. And like the shame, he didn't get kicked out of anything. You did. And there's just this shame and this guilt piece that kind of follows women along all throughout church. And it's wild that you started feeling that at five and 10 and. Uh so much shame and I didn't want didn't want that for my kid and so I would definitely like walk him through it and obviously try to prevent it if I noticed anything out of the ordinary do you um, feel like you're hyper vigilant and hyper aware of that kind of stuff now as a parent I would say no it's not like I'm taking to daycare thinking is this the day he's gonna get molested like it's never it's never that 
Um, it might be different when he's here. like, yeah, it might be different when he's like 10 sleeping over at someone's house. That might be a little different. Um, but I definitely want to try to keep a very open conversation with him about anything. I want him to make sure he feels very comfortable coming to me for anything that he may need. Um, and if being molested is something he wants to talk to me about, I want to make sure that he feels comfortable talking to me about that. And that was something that I never felt comfortable talking to anyone about. Um, there's just something growing up in the church you can't talk about. They just sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And it was very um, shameful. <laughs> it wasn't fun. I did tell some people about it, like youth leader, small group leader. I think I told Mark when I was younger, like I told Ty right away, like, because it does, it does kind of creep up and I have bad days and hard days. Like now I don't, but I did. I used to cry a lot. I used to have to process it and I would want to have a relationship with my dad. And it was really Ty that's like, why would you? And I'm like, yeah, why would I want to have a relationship with my dad? Yeah. Let's well, realize that men who touch children are fucked and yeah, they should, should probably be in jail. Be in jail. Yeah. It should be in jail. And it was also very fair so when we would sleep over my dad's house when i was like 14 i would actually stay up all night to protect my sister because i didn't want her which again goes into that parenting role not your responsibility but who else was going to do it 100 who else is going to do it and i would get scared over the like the lights going on outside the room i would barricade the door i would think of escape plans if he ever came into my room right. at like 14 so. you are still coming up with escape plans for fucking malcolm wild yeah Probably where I get it from. I think that you are like, seriously, like, I don't look up to that many people our age because there's just not that many people who are like doing things with their lives. But like you as a mother, you as a wife, you as uh, an employee, you as like a working individual kind of like, you know, keeping this world running. I've always looked up to you for so, so, so many things. So let's kind of talk about that because we've talked about your parents. We talked about the foundation that they led for you, but like you kind of took the whole situation that could have happened with the, you know, generational trauma and the generational abuse and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, not even, it's like, you're not even in the same family. No, I'm not in the same family. No, my, well, I don't talk to my biological father at all. Um, even when he messages me Merry Christmas, I'm like, Hey, bye. Like I barely reply. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, like, my sister's lifestyle is way different than my lifestyle, um, and we both grew up in the same house, and maybe, like, there was some trauma in her life, not saying she was sexually abused, but maybe there was trauma in her life, and maybe it's interesting how people just abuse. take Maybe she did. She definitely knew about it, and yeah. I think that that's a huge thing that yep. could happen because when my mom told me that the trauma she experienced as as a child and like teenagers I took it on myself I was like oh my gosh well, so like I mean like your sister's the kind of person even I said like best security guard if you need somebody to defend you she will be up in arms for anybody and I've always loved that about her yeah and I think I think we both kind of took on that parenting role I think she saw that I was being the mom and she wanted to like help me out and so she would try to be the mom my sister and I are very different she loves confrontation she loves arguing she can defend her point to the grave she's really good at it I am not that way I'm good at like situational trauma like when someone doesn't like their food I can 100% convince them that they do so <laughs> I'm very good at situ she's good at like huge confrontation uh so we would actually come up with plans I'm like hey this is the plan 
you want to go out Friday night. You tell mom this. She's like, okay. And she would talk to mom about the conflict going on or wanting to go out or whatever. Um, <laughs> I was the planner. She was negotiator. <laughs> I cannot negotiate. Yeah. My God. So how much different was your life? Like, because there was, there was alcoholism and you don't really drink that often. No. Um, so my grandma was an alcoholic. I'm pretty sure my grandfather was too. Brent was definitely an alcoholic. Um, my mom, no, she never did. She never, I barely remember her drinking. It was maybe champagne on New Year's. Like that was about, um, but I, right off the bat just being native it's in my blood so I need to get out of it and so I have never done any drugs other than caffeine um and I have never I've been drunk so many times but there was one time I was at a bar and I almost got raped by one of my coworkers. I was blackout drunk and he had he had me over his shoulder apparently this is hearsay because it was from a friend that told me had me over his shoulder was trucking me like taking me to his car and one of my friends was like where are you taking Steph and he's like oh we're gonna go home and have some fun and then she was like no the fuck you're not took me back to the bar the next morning I wake up at her house and I'm like what happened and she told me everything and um that moment I was like I'm never drinking again ever again this is it I never a position where I can't even control my own body so I would drink any of that but yeah yeah, like but no control over yourself and control over the situation yeah Yeah. and so I instantly became the DD for every person that wanted to go partying which was cool because I actually made money they would pay me money to drive them I'd make money and everyone would go in have one drink I would always have like a spice rum and coke or something and they would always have it ready for me they're like here's step here's your one drink and I would drink one drink at the very beginning of the night just to have some fun. And I never drink for the rest of the night. And I would drive everyone home. Good nice. for you. That's you're yeah. amazing. So what would you tell 10 year old Steph right now? Mom, wife, what would you tell that little girl? Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> that yeah. like, you're definitely going to go through some more heartache, but it's, you're going to get through it. Cause I think at I, I think the sec- I can I can still remember the feeling the second she told me the what had happened when I was little my whole body just like whew, like I can't even describe what I felt I felt frozen I felt like and I couldn't move like I felt so frozen and like I my brain was just like going a mile a minute I'm like is this real did this really happen it must really happen like my brain was just going um and looking back now I think I just was in fight flight. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Wow. I'm just like, you're just so cool. I'm I was in that SNS so and I was supposed to. So I, yeah, like, I think you're amazing. I think it's like great that you, I've watched you kind of go through all of these different things where you were dating and you were dating him. And so it was like, like more of commitment and then not really you were searching. And then, you know, you're married, you've got kids and just like, hearing you talk about parenting and hearing you talk about raising your son in this crazy world. And it's just like, I'm so happy that I have you as a friend. Like I, we always talk about the people we surround ourselves with and I'm like, I can look up to you for things and I can't do that with a lot of people. And I'm just like, so grateful for you. We're right back at you. We both been through through some shit. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Like my final thought is just like, man, they're just like, what's happening with all these men? Like, 
you know, you hear people say like, teach men not to rape. Well, that's never going to happen. There are always going to be evil people out there. So what do we do about it? Like, I just keep thinking, why are none of you chicks walking around with pepper spray, just dousing <laughs> left and right? Like, at what <laughs> age do you give your child, a female child, pepper spray and say, if a guy even looks at you sideways, you blast them. See, it's interesting that you say that because I think that's great. But I was never even taught self-defense. Like it was never we well self-defense like even pepper that that to us is us harming somebody. Yeah, I know, but I think we gotta change that. Like cause mm-hmm. self-defense, like if a guy wants to, he's just gonna it, you can learn your taekwondo, he's gonna fuck you up. But you pepper spray you him pepper everybody's spray gonna him? be asking you why you pepper sprayed him and you can tell everybody that's well, that's a rapist too. over there. Well, that's another <laughs> thing too, because nobody talks about these stories. Like, why was that guy who pulled you into that car? Was he arrested? Was yeah. he charged? Yeah. Was he like reprimanded? Was he fired? Like, was seriously, like if any of these people oh. I actually knew in real life, I would be calling the cops on them. Yeah. Like, hey, this person just tried to rape my friend. What the fuck? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. It's completely crazy. Oh. I what saw him on giving your child pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I hope he doesn't eat pepper spray. <laughs> no, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Uh, I think, like, but... as you're raising a boy, how are you going to tackle that kind of stuff? Well, I think with Ty, man, like, he's the man you chose, and you chose a good man. Like, he's going to grow up to be like Ty, just like I grew up to be like my dad. Yeah. You know? I but... think if you teach him to respect and love women, like, yeah. And that, like, start at a young age. Start when he's this little. And whenever we see, like, little girls at the park and he is a little bit more aggressive, I'm like, no, you are respectful. You'd be nice. And it's not even just towards everybody. Like, you don't you want at the park. Like, you're very respectful. And, like, really, and honestly, me and Ty modeling that in front of him is a huge one, too. Ty respect and loving me is huge. That he's going to be like, he won't know any different. Well, it's just be like, like oh. I hear these stories. I'm like, whoa, what is happening? Like, it, I, it's a huge red flag right away and completely unacceptable. So when, like, you guys are calm and chill and talking, like, that's what he's going to see. So when that crazy comes along, he's going to see it and be like, whoa. And I love whoa. This was so intentional from years before. Like, you were yeah. not going to ever put your kid in a situation where that was going to be his situation. It's even like allowing him to see us fight, like argue about something and resolve that in a healthy manner, not punching a wall, not yelling at each other, not grabbing each other, not storming away that he sees like, oh yeah, my parents did fight and they resolved it. And he learns how to do that. Cause there's so many people that are like, my parents never fought. I never saw them fight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we're all conflicts. Well, I don't know. I just do. And it's like, probably not in a healthy way. So right. yeah, it's all about being intentional, but like, everyone's going to go through some trauma and the best thing you could do as a parent is just be there when he does go through it he's going to go through it and it's going to be a heartache it's going to be hard on him but it's also going to teach him a lot of lessons i hope it's just not as severe as what i went through because yeah i would on him yeah (laughs) no doubt so we have to get you down to panama eventually yes like has to um when we move to Panama, well yeah tell us about that because you were kind of oh yeah yeah, like let's talk about us going to Panama. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's so, talk. yeah, we, uh, I went to your guys' house uh, in Calgary. I forget why or when. Um, but you guys were like, oh, you guys have bought that van. And you're like, oh. yeah, we're going to Canada. <laughs> I was like, 
perfect. Everyone was doing it at that point. COVID hit, you couldn't get on planes. You're like, let's get a van and go. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And then within like, I don't know, probably a week or two weeks after I went to your house and you were like, so I think we're going to move to Panama. And I was like, like, like South Panama, like, like Panama. And you're like, yep, we're going to go. And I was like, okay, sure. Honestly, it didn't surprise me. I was like, why, why wouldn't you go? Like, to me, it just made sense, especially for like your guys's like carefree adventurous, like you had a remote job. He had a remote podcast so he could record wherever. So I was like, it makes sense. Like logistically makes sense. And then you're like, yeah, we're going to go down for a week, see what it's like, maybe come back, pack up the stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You guys never came back. So (laughs) yeah, that changed that, that ended differently. (laughs) Well, I think like after you told me that the whole like we're gonna go for a week and come back I'm like they're not gonna come back not in the slightest way and I think I remember telling you I'm like you should probably just like think about selling stuff now like get out kind of thing and the next time I went to your house things were in boxes a couch was missing like <laughs> things were like you were like Steph go through my clothes I was like, okay, oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> going through clothes like you're just getting rid of everything and stuffing your life into two suitcases. And it was really interesting to see that process. But I think overall, I just saw like happiness. Like the second you guys mentioned Panama and you did research and B was showing me all these like TikTok videos of like Panama and like all these cool things. You're like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. There was just like the, the dreary COVID was gone in your guys' eyes. And it was just pure happiness had taken over and you guys were truly truly excited and I saw the heartache of like giving up Nova another cat was gone another cat was gone and these things were happening and it was like but the ultimate like your overall demeanor had changed and you guys were so so happy that I was I felt peace I didn't feel like it was a bad decision I felt like it was something you guys really needed and I think it happened at just the right time you guys needed and you went yeah, it just shows the power of when you take back your own life, just like how you had to conquer your sexual abuse. You know, we had to take back our life from the government. You know, you have to take control of your own life. And when you do, and when you start making choices that are going to be beneficial truly for just you and maybe, you know, your closest kin, you're going to be radiating that positivity. And like you said, even though we were giving up animals and every other day, I was like, fuck, that really sucked. You know, it was still like, we're let's do this. To do this. Yeah, it was still the energy of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it was really cool because I've known you both for so, so long and I've known you both so well that yeah. it, it, it just made sense. It was like, you know what, this remembering young Mark and Beth, it was like, I totally get it. It totally makes sense, you know, well, why yeah. you guys yeah and then i mean you haven't been out here yet you've gotten to see a couple things but i'm so excited to have you out here because like i can't wait to just smoke weed by the fire and it's happening this is happening um (laughs) but one thing that i wanted to get everybody hyped about is because Hmm. me and steph have been together been friends for so long gone through all the girl stuff this podcast is like a relationship podcast obviously but we thought it would be fun to do a mini series of girl talk Uh and some like sleepover talk and you know growing up back in the day exactly (laughs) so yeah so whenever you make it to Panama we're gonna do that we're gonna do like a mini series and just kind of a bunch of episodes of just like girl talk and what we go through because I think even in light of this episode 
girls need to talk about that in in a room where guys are listening because you need to understand what we're going through. Yep. You should check out your male friends. Yep. Ask them how they respond to conflict. Ask them what the last argument they got into and what was it about and how they responded. And like, fucking check your friends because yep. this shit is happening. One in like uh, three women are abused or something like that. And like, and it's all happening. It's It's not always random strangers. It's people in your household. And like, really, honestly, guys, go check your guy friends, because this is happening to women who cannot do anything about it. And it's not good. Yeah, I think also just creating like that safe space for women to feel comfortable to talk about it, because that's not always the case for everybody. And I think I created that for myself. But I think a lot of women don't create that. It takes a lot of courage and bravery to do that. And some people, their trauma is just too traumatic. And that that shame just like takes over. Yeah, way too much over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. I'm so happy to know you. I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast and shared your whole life with us. It's you've definitely been some up and downs, but you're incredible. I'm so happy you guys invited me. It's been a blast. I listen to your podcast every week. And <laughs> I am Patreon, so <laughs> <laughs> every first of first month of the month, every time. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for your support. Thanks for like being there every time something happens. Like there aren't a lot of people that I've stayed in touch and you're one of the people who texts me first. And it's like, I just, you mean so much to us. Oh, thank you. You guys mean more to me. You guys are great. And I will try to make it out this year. I'm trying. I'm dialing down numbers. <laughs> cool well then this is it if you guys want to get a hold of us if you guys have questions for steph if you've been through some of this honestly she's the she's a great person to talk to so if you guys want to talk we can give you your email just message us he'll talk with mark and b on almost every platform and if you guys want to be a patreon steph tell them how amazing it is <laughs> so easy to set up it's like a button click it has little little dollar signs you just press one of them maybe the higher one 100 percent easy just go do it and you can find out for yourself how easy it is. Oh my God. <laughs> thanks everybody for joining us. We're so happy uh, that you're here. And, uh, yeah. Thanks again, Steph. No worries. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.